Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast about leadership in data science. We study leaders in data science and artificial intelligence, so you can learn from them and further your career. Today's episode, we speak with Lee McCormack. She's the Chief Executive Officer at Basecamp Health, which is a company that she founded and tells us about that journey. Super interesting. She's also the Data and Analytics Advisor at Transparency Health, a board member at Chattanooga Technology Council, and she is also doing her PhD at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. Needless to say, Lee is a super impressive leader in the space. I had a great time speaking with her. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Here's a conversation with Lee. Hi, this is Felipe. Today I'm speaking with Lee. Lee, thank you so much for making the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in data first? What was what brought you into the world of data? So my journey to data, I like to tease because really I was just always good at things that could be sort of objective in that I liked things that had answers and data always seemed to have an answer. Um, So I started my journey with my undergraduate degree in mathematics and started to really see how data and analytics could be a huge asset to just really anyone needing to understand how the world works and putting really those more objective pieces of the puzzle together. I also like to tease that data science was not a thing when I was in school, uh, which, which really wasn't that long ago, but I feel like I have professionally progressed as the subject matter has as well. So my background is more in theoretical statistics and theoretical mathematics. And really, my professional journey has been more in data science and and watching how the more academic and research worlds sort of collide with the more industry world and corporate world. Yes. When you studied your bachelor's, was the degree mathematics and statistics or did you come into statistics later? Um, so it was mathematical statistics, so understanding yeah. uh, probability theory and all that great stuff. And then my master's degree was in biostats, so applying statistics to clinical trial research and how do we advance the biology fields and the medical fields with those more data-driven and underlying theories in research. Yeah, fantastic. And what did you do after the master's? So after the master's, I stayed a little bit in academia. So I worked on some research grants and really started to fuel the analytical um, need that I had along with the content that I was really driven towards. So how do I start to look at health equity? And that's really been a passion Mm -hmm. of mine throughout my career. And so I started with some research grants doing work around um, understanding how zip code and really geographical location played into stroke and obesity rates across the United States and really understanding those from a statistical perspective. And then at that point, a little bit of data science was being drawn out. So how do we visualize those pieces of information? How do we start to predict future trends in obesity and stroke using what would be considered maybe more non-traditional clinical data in that zip code and location type analytics? Wow. And what were some of the things that were coming out of that research? Most of those were multi-site clinical trials, so they were set up to be very, very specific in how individuals really in the southern part of the United States, their trends and how they gained weight and how that then Mm -hmm. led to stroke. 
those are some really great research pieces that are coming out of universities across the U.S. And I was fortunate enough to be on some of their data safety and monitoring boards, which means I got to have really more of an unbiased look at the data. So as these clinical trial sites were bringing in data, I was really armed with making sure that there was integrity in data collection and integrity in the reporting and analytics that were coming out. So me as what I would deem a a novice analyst at that point, it was a really great look at how data can be used for the good, but that there also has to be these sort of checks and balances on the back end to make sure they're collected ethically and those types of things. How big would the board be that was looking after these types of interests? And what would be the discussions that you'd have with the people doing the studies? So the board would be made up of representatives from the academic institutions. So two to three from each academic institution that was involved in the grant. And then site representatives, so from each of the actual sites. And then there would be a couple of analysts, myself, and one from each of the other academic institutions that would really play. We were not involved in data selection. We were not involved in setting up the trial. And so we were brought on really as a mm. third party, unbiased looks at, at the data. Right, right. And how deep could you go into the data itself and how it was being used? Could you sort of check everything or how did it work? So we mainly stayed inside the confines of what was requested in terms of patient consent, in terms of the trial at hand. So what we were in charge of was comparing what the patient had signed off on to be a part of the clinical trial and was Uh data being collected in a way that matched what the patient's understanding was. That way we were staying in line with how results could be reported and that there were going to be no surprises on the back end for those patients who gave informed consent in the beginning. Yes. And then obviously with healthcare data being so sensitive and so personal, that would mean that there's huge limitations in how this data could be used or reused or used for other purposes outside of that specific consent. That must be a tough line sometimes to walk where you might have data that if analyzed differently, it might lead to great benefit for people. But it means it sounds like in that case, you would have to start from scratch in terms of the consent and the data gathering, even if the data already exists, but it was captured for a different purpose. Is that right? Yeah, and that's really what those institutional review boards are there to help facilitate. So in what ways are data allowed to be used, even if it's for a slightly different or tangential um, use case? So I also, after I left the academic world, I moved to a large insurance payer in, in healthcare. Yes. And that was a very similar realization on the data that we had in-house. So that those data are collected purely for payment purposes. So an insurance payer is really only collecting data in order to reimburse a physician, but it holds great value. So if you think about infectious disease surveillance and you think about um, really large trends in healthcare utilization, those payers have a wealth of data that they are sitting on top of to help get ahead of those trends and to really be a force within the industry. And you had to always balance why those data were being collected, what limitations came with that, that data collection, but also how was it going to be viewed by individuals who were the purveyors of those data, right? So when a health insurer comes out and has all these fancy analytics, while they're certainly helpful, it can be sort of disarming perhaps to a patient that doesn't necessarily feel that their data were collected for that particular reason. Yes, definitely a tough fine line to walk. And you were at that insurer for a number of years, is that right? Yes, I was there for almost a decade. I 
started my career more on the reporting side of things and getting my feet wet and really what that industry held. It was a new a new view of healthcare that I had not had. So a good bit of time just doing reporting and mm-hmm. then I started to see how data science was really up and coming in that part of the industry and how really it could bring such benefit to a lot of both the operational processes of the health insurer, the clinical piece of the health insurer, um, and of course, the financial piece as well. And so there were just all these opportunities for data science. I like to say that in, in nine years there, I feel like every new task I, I, I got or that my team was, was uh, responsible for was something very new and very out of the box because there was just such great application across the organization. That's incredible. And what type of applications did you work in? Uh, obviously, only the ones that you can share, but uh, what type of things did you look into and what happened as a result? Sure. So we were an advanced analytics team. We were responsible for supporting the entire enterprise. So for instance, we could be on the quality side helping nurses figure out which members needed to be called and were at highest risk for a readmission to the hospital, right? And so how do we get those insights in front of clinicians and the clinical team to help mitigate that risk? So that was on the clinical side. And then if you can think about maybe the farthest use case is we supported our marketing teams with a lot of unsupervised learning. So understanding the different groupings of members at in within the payer environment and how do they market to those individuals, whether those are Medicare patients or Medicaid patients, depending on the types of services they need and what was available to them via their plans. So you can think about those two drastically different use cases, but at any given time, we were supporting those types of ventures. Interesting. And one thing that you mentioned before is that with the data that the insurers collect and have, it's obviously for payment purposes. And one of the things that you mentioned is that the insights seem to be more at a macro level, the insights that can be extracted from that data. Is that the case? How detailed could you go in your recommendations or findings with some of the applications on the clinical side, say like readmissions? How targeted could you get on that side? Yeah, so the level that we could get to was dictated by the level of the data. And granted, we had claims data on these individuals. So we had a level of clinical data for most everyone. And especially on the clinical side, we were getting to the patient or the member level and indicating what that patient may be at risk for. So mostly around utilization. Um, sometimes if you think about medication adherence, so how do we help those members stay on the medications that they need? That's certainly a patient level endeavor as population efforts can only go so far. So some of those have to be geared towards the patient and at that grain. Whereas some other things, if we think of subrogation and we think of marketing, those oftentimes were much more at the macro level um, because we're not, we weren't doing any direct to member marketing. It was more um, group focused or plan focused. Yes, makes sense. And were you able to use external data to combine with the internal data in the company? Yeah, so one of maybe the overarching tasks of my group in specific was how do we get creative with the data that we have um, at our disposal? And then what more do we need to augment that? And so traditional claims data, again, has its limitations. While it's certainly a vast amount of data, you can only get so great predictive accuracy and so many insights from it. And so part of the task was How do we comb through different sets of data within the organization to see what value they hold? So think clinical notes from care management teams, 
clinical notes from customer service agents, partnering that with, again, some geospatial analytics. So where does a member live and what do we know about that zip code or that census block, as well as starting to infer behavioral motivations of members based off of interactions with the health plan. So how often are they calling in to customer service? What are they calling in for? How do they view and what is the sentiment around working with a health insurer? How do you glean all these things from these different sources of data to start to broaden the analytics as opposed to just mm. what is clinically relevant to more how do we get this member motivated around health and a true player in their health, which we know and the research shows leads to better health outcomes um, down the road. Yeah, fantastic. And in part of your, your work, were you able to measure any improvements on health outcomes as a result of any changes the insurer did? Yeah, so we worked closely with a lot of our program evaluation teams. So a lot of the analytics that we put in place would be for very specific disease management programs or identification programs. And we would fuel those analytic insights. And then over time, we would work with other teams to understand what was the impact on that, mainly from a cost reduction standpoint and a utilization standpoint. And they vary in terms of the impact. And oftentimes, we would use those as a measure of when do we need to go back to the drawing board? If we're looking at outcomes and we're not seeing, is that indicative of our really the, the analytic, not necessarily accuracy, but integrity of the models that we had in place? that were fueling those programs. We were very lucky in that a lot of the clinical groups within the organization kind of grew along with us in terms of how savvy they were becoming. And, and they were very quick to notice when things needed to be calibrated on our end. They were certainly helpful in pointing out not necessarily just that maybe a particular insight was appeared to be erroneous, but why. And that way we could really start to fix things on our end and making sure we were giving them something that was both statistically relevant and valid, but also operationally relevant and valid. And so we were able to go out and quantify the dollars that we were able to save on outcomes related to medication adherence and just how valuable literally filling 30-day drug would, would kind of return on investment that would get us. And those were just really great insights to help continue to fuel the projects that were given to um, our advanced analytics. That's fantastic. And I wanted to ask you about your progression during your time at the company. I think it's amazing. Like you started as an analyst and finished as a, as a principal. How was that journey for you over those nine or 10 years? So I always like to think there was certainly a little bit of just amazing timing. So as I stated, you know, data science, certainly when I was in school, wasn't a quote unquote thing. And I started at the large payer and in the payer organization, just right as data science in the healthcare industry was just becoming um, talked about and really getting spun up. And I self-taught on the job. So while I had a very foundational understanding of, of statistics, I wanted to then really start to flex what I would deem more the creative side of analytics and being able to feature engineer and come up with all these what are otherwise maybe useless data points if you're thinking theoretical statistics, but how do I get these insights and really start to be creative in this space. And so that was happening right as I joined this large organization. And I feel like there, I just was allowed to grow alongside of it. So I spearheaded the, the first advanced analytics team there and grew that organization. 
it was just really great to watch my career grow alongside data science in the healthcare industry. I like to think, again, that it was just some really good timing and some really good support internally. So great leaders in the organization that were very, very influential and and very forward thinking and allowing us to explore in these veins and allowing us to express our own interests and grow our careers that way. That's amazing. So those leaders, do you think that they saw the potential of advanced analytics? Did they see the potential in you? Did they see both? What do you think was their their thinking? Yeah, I'd like to think both, right? So um, they definitely knew that to compete in the world that they were in, that data and analytics were going to have to be something that was on the forefront as a company, right? As not just building an analytics group and, and showcasing that, but having that at the highest level and it being known that those are objectives and we're going to use data to meet those objectives. I took it upon myself oftentimes to find new ways to apply data and to yearly, I would put a, a goal, my personal goal to support a new portion of the company. And that was always one to help myself grow in terms of the content of healthcare and just bridge a little bit of understanding that I didn't get from my master's degree. But also, how do I then express new methods and new data sources in order to support that new organization? And so I feel like me and my team were able to sort of infiltrate and grow our own network internally, which mm. helped grow grow really the confidence that our leadership had in us um, and the, the value that they, they saw that we brought to the organization. That's fantastic. And what are the skill sets that you think the leaders saw in you that gave them the security to back you through the journey? So I always like to say that some data scientists and the skill sets that people are really looking for, sometimes they're like unicorns and they don't necessarily always exist, at least in the super sophisticated way that people think that they should. Because I, I kind of came in on, in boots on the ground and I had to live it I had to code. I had to get in front of leadership and present results. I started to form more of the data journalism side of data science. Mm-hmm. So how do I storytell with data? How do I get up? And sometimes it was actually selling both myself and the results or how we were going to do something. And that's a skill set that I think is often not emphasized enough. So being able to know the right methods and being able to code and to know when a model is good enough is one thing. But then how do I go and do I express that to non-technical teams or maybe other technical teams that aren't data science teams, right? So your data engineering teams. Those skill sets, those are much more rare to find. And yes. I feel like those, if you look at leadership and data science, that you'll see that skill set much more often because it is a you as the data scientist, and I certainly had to kind of find this out myself, you have to be able to break away from the technical aspect mm. of the job in order to do the more people side, the more storytelling side. And it is part of your brain. You almost have to turn off from time to time. Yes. And I myself found how to do that on any given day. It was sometimes it was tiring. And it's something that I also figured out how to break down and start to teach to my teams. So while I led an advanced analytics team, I expected everyone that worked within our organization to be able to at least express some level of that storytelling capability and to help grow it. Um, it is an uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable situation for some individuals who are super technical. Yeah. So it's certainly not for everyone, but I feel that it makes you just so much better at the technical side if 
if you can understand how it's going to be interpreted. Because I feel like there's there's just so many ways that things can be constructed and done in the technical space that would make them so much more appealing when they're out in the public and out um, being used. Definitely. And what are some ways that you take your team through that uncomfortable or sometimes uncomfortable journey? Because I find that so much of our industry is extremely focused on acquiring and enhancing the technical skills. Most of the discussion is around the coding and the new algorithms in on the technical side. So sometimes, at least I've found that it takes a while to get people to see the benefits and the advantages of the other set of skills that are more necessary as a leader and that help you have a bigger impact in the organization. How do you find that journey with your team? Yeah, so I'm a firm believer in really involving them from step one. So bringing them into a conversation when we're not necessarily certain what the ask is going to be analytically and letting them really get their feet wet and how to ask those probing questions, right, to pull that out of the customer or their stakeholder or whomever it may be. And then we go back and together we draw up a almost a proposal. So acting as consultants mm-hmm. almost on how we're going to do things, what data points we need, what it may look like on the back end when the outputs are there and how is that going to integrate into their workflows and their technical software or systems. So we draw that up in a one page, two page document and then we go back. Right. So before we ever touch um, a keyboard or in that way, then we are really getting the buy in of the customer up front. And what that does is it gives them confidence in what they're about to build. It gives the customer confidence in the analysts behind the scenes, right? Because sometimes they don't ever see that individual. But it also starts to get them thinking long before anything's ever coded, what is going to be powerful at the very end, right? So what is actionable and meaningful? What's going to drive value for the organization? Getting them to think about that up front and getting them to really open up that conversation is certainly hard, especially with people who are fresh out of school and they are just ready and eager to just build, 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 getting them to understand why they're building something, again, I feel is just brings out such a better product on the other end. If they understand who they're building it for, why they're building it, and really what it has to be in order to meet the objective. Yeah, could not agree more. That's fantastic. It's a, it's a really great way to manage teams and develop people. So, and tell me, what have you been doing since you left the health in, the insurer? I know yeah. there's very exciting things on the cards happening to you for the last year or a bit longer. Yeah, so actually my last few years at the health insurer, I was spearheading social determinant of health work. So I personally became very attached to the topic. So social determinants of health are the places in which we live and work and play and how they influence our health um, is starting to just be a very, very big research topic in that most of our health outcomes are not decided by genetics or our actual health status, but rather the social pieces of our life. And so I got very attached to this, the underpinning of health equity. And so About a year ago, I decided that it was time to really put all my eggs in that basket. And I just loved the concept so much. And I enjoy doing analytics. It was something where I really enjoyed the topic and the data that went along with it. So much so that I wanted to put my focus there. So um, I left and started Basecamp Health. So we are 
a healthcare technology startup here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we are focused on helping healthcare organizations, so hospitals, physician groups, even insurers, how do they utilize their existing data sources to really uncover social barriers in their patient or member population. So it's certainly a critical time right now in healthcare. We're moving from volume of healthcare to quality in healthcare. And if an individual's social makeup is a large part of their a driver of their health outcomes, then from a data perspective, we need to be able to understand that. So if I'm predicting who's likely to end up at the hospital, who's likely to repeat at the hospital, then how do I comb their data to understand the social barriers that might be at play in conjunction with their clinical makeup? And healthcare organizations, I don't believe realize the amount of data that they're sitting on. So that may come in freeform clinical notes. So we do a lot of natural language processing on those clinical notes. We're doing a lot of machine learning to understand which diagnosis codes map to social barriers and have a higher likelihood of indicating social barriers. So this company is really a data analytics company focused on curating those social insights from the electronic medical record of a patient. And then we actually, we also have technology that comes and helps um, organizations make referrals out to community-based organizations such as food banks or um, transportation services to help eliminate those barriers to healthcare. That's fantastic. Uh, how well accepted is it in the industry the view that the social side of an individual has so much effect or impact in their healthcare? Is that something that you need to convince, sell, or is it accepted? So it's certainly not something we need to convince. It is widely known that there are these social aspects to healthcare. I think what we're still sort of seeing is what impact can erasing those have? So we're still at a really big conjuncture where we're attempting to define health outcomes and if erasing those social barriers, how do they impact those health outcomes? And truth be told, we're still at the beginning of this process. So a lot of those data and those research objectives are still in development. And we are happy to be a part of that and churning out really vast amounts of data and vast in this sense is certainly not vast in the typical sense since social needs aren't extremely well documented. So a lot of our work is how do we increase the volume and the standardization of these data so that we can really, really put these research objectives into play and help organizations start to really quantify the impact of social needs to health outcomes. Yes, that is fantastic. And what type of projects have you been doing over the, the last year? Um, what type of organizations have you been working with? Is there any standouts or any favorites that you could share with us? So we are we still are very new. So we are only a year old. We started off really in the hospital space around predicting readmissions. So how do we understand the social needs of a patient, their clinical needs in order to help hospitals predict readmissions. So hospitals get penalized if a patient repeats to the hospital within 30 days of a discharge for certain conditions. So there's a financial component to hospitals saying, we need help identifying who's at high risk so that we can get them additional services and additional attention. So that's really where we started. And then we, as we went out and we're talking readmissions, we figured out that this was a, a huge barrier in lots of other points as well. So how do I help patients who are overutilizing the emergency room? So mm. um, some patients are going to the emergency room for what is deemed you know, primary care treatable conditions and needs. Mm. So how do we help hospitals identify those patients, identify where they are, and then help them set up strategies 
to mitigate that risk, whether that's um, increasing urgent care open hours or increasing home health visits, whatever it may be, so that the ED reduction comes and as such comes cost reduction. So mainly hospitals at this point in time, we're working with a couple of accountable health communities as well as accountable care organizations and large physician practices as well. That is extremely well done. Uh, I know that the process of setting up a company and getting off the ground is very painful, <laughs> very long. And yeah, congrats. Like you're doing so great. And only a year in. That's really well done. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's quite a lonely journey, but no, you're definitely doing great. How has the transition been for you from going from a very technical role to then the leadership side and now the business aspect? How has that progression or that journey been for you? Yeah, it's such a great question. When you're coming from a data science field where there's a lot of structure, there's certainly a framework for how everything's done in data science. You can add your own two cents and get creative with it. And when you move that framework into the corporate side or um, out of the corporate setting into the startup side, there's a lot more generalist you have to start to be, right? So not only do I have to live within my data science framework, but now I'm trying to master a marketing framework and a sales framework. And how do I build financial frameworks so I keep my shareholders happy? I like to think that data science really set me up well for that. Um, Being quantitative, being able to see everything and that sort of visualization and that storytelling frame has helped me. And I like to say that I feel like my journey was such a great journey because I didn't stay in my lane. And now I'm in the startup space and I'm expected to get out of that lane on a hour by hour. I'm doing something different, which is great. But I also get to oversee a technical team. And so a good part of my day is still getting into that data science framework, which keeps me grounded. It keeps me part of an industry that's also changing, right? So data science and artificial intelligence, I feel like there's something new there every day. While I'm certainly not expressing that in a code form or an algorithm form, I'm getting to stay on top of that through my team and helping them advance our company through that work. That's outstanding. And there's a couple of other initiatives that take up your time as well. Could you tell us a little bit about those? About there's a board member position, there's an advisor in there. What are those and how do you balance your time? I was actually fortunate enough to run across a group of individuals who had spearheaded an investment firm called Transparency Health who wanted to bring healthcare technology startups and that culture here to Chattanooga. We're, for those who aren't aware where we are, we're nestled between Nashville, Tennessee and Atlanta, Georgia, right? And really the hub of healthcare IT in the U.S. And so we wanted to really bring some of that great thought leaders and great experience here to this city. I got in touch with them and set up with them and they are investing in healthcare companies and they needed um, a data and analytics viewpoint as they're doing diligence on some of these companies. And so that's really what my role with them. And that's uh, super exciting because I get to see some really cutting edge things and weigh in on how those scale and and what the forecast is for those types of companies. That's just great because it's something that you just really get you outside your bubble and forces you to really just understand, again, the the vastness of the analytics industry um, in healthcare, especially as it's just chugging along. Wow. And how long has that investment firm been running for? So it started in mid-2018. So it's been around about a year and a half. 
they're growing their portfolio and doing great work. And it was really one of the most um, enticing things when I did come across them that led me to make the jump into the startup space, just because I saw such great value, both in their leadership, but also in bringing data science into Chattanooga in the healthcare space, Mm -hmm. giving opportunities for people like myself with backgrounds similar how do we cultivate that in, in such a great city like Chattanooga? Wow. How many people live in Chattanooga? That is a great question. I am an analytics person, but I could not tell you that number. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> that is no problem at all. And uh, you're also involved with the Technology Council. Is that right? So the um, Chatech or the Chattanooga Technology Council is a great organization here in town. About a year ago, I started going to some of their events. They have a like a women's forum, which was great. Um, but then I started noticing that it was there were no other analytics individuals there. So it was mostly your your IT and your DevOps individuals. So I actually met with the director of Tech and you know expressed that there was a group of individuals within the city that this organization could bring into the umbrella. And so late last year, we started the data and analytics forum part of Tech to really start to bring in the data science, the analytics, the BI individuals into this organization, partly just to make bring awareness, but also because throughout my career, I've been a huge believer that all of these very similar roles, and especially in large organizations, get somewhat siloed. So your data engineers don't work very closely with your data scientists or don't work very closely with your your database individuals. So how much better of a product do you get when you start to incorporate them from the beginning and really bring them into each other's worlds? And so I thought Chawtech would be a great platform to really start that conversation and have those groups a little bit more integrated and understanding that there is a lot of overlap in the skill sets. And there's certainly a lot of overlap Mm -hmm. in the mentality of these individuals. And I know I've learned so much from my data engineering counterparts that make me such a a better data scientist and vice versa. And so how do we just grow that in this town? That is so great. It sounds like you're making such great progress on so many fronts. Tell me, where does your drive come from? Obviously, a passionate person and you, you are spearheading so many different initiatives and working, just giving it your all. Where does the drive come from for you? I'm always just a believer in that I should never look back and say, I wish I would have done something. And this is a great example is I'm currently getting my doctorate degree in health policy with a focus in health informatics and information management all the way across the state in Memphis. And my husband thought I was crazy. I told him, I said, I'm just going to start the program. And as as long as I can do it, I'll just keep going. Right. And if it becomes a burden, then I'll stop. I started the program. I had two of my three children while still in the program. Um, I'm happy to say now that I'm I'm finished with coursework and I'm starting my dissertation research. So I like to think that the the hard part is over, but I don't think that's true. I think the hard part is just beginning. So I always view it as I don't want to look back and say I should have at least tried. That's one component of it. Two, my daughter was born two years ago and, and I just I wanted to be a great example for her on how women can succeed in an mm-hmm. otherwise male-dominated field, right? So how do I help, one, bring that type of mentality into the community she's going to grow up in? So in Chattanooga, in Tennessee, 
and show her, right? Not just tell her that those things can be done, but show her. This year or this past year, I joined an organization called Women in Analytics. Uh, they're out of Columbus, Ohio, and they've been doing great things. They're a worldwide organization on really just letting women kind of voice and hear, um, let their voices be heard in terms of analytics and data science. Um, such a great organization. And I hope to bring something like that here to Chattanooga eventually. But I want to make sure that I'm showing my daughter how those things mm. are done and not, and not just telling her that they can be done. Very true. How old are your kids now? So I have three children. I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and then my daughters too. So two boys yeah. and then my little girl. Nice. So never, never uh, a dull moment. Never a dull moment. <laughs> I bet. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> how do you balance family life and all the different initiatives? I am in awe. <laughs> You know, I always like to say, wherever you are, be there. So if I'm in the car with my children, then we're playing games and we're conversing. If I'm at work, I'm at work. And then when I put my children down for bed, I get two hours of school time. Uh, when my children are napping on the weekends, um, I get school time. And so having to car- um, compartmentalize those different aspects uh, certainly helps push things along. But then also realizing that I do just have to sometimes take a mental break. And mm. sometimes my weekend is all work. And sometimes my weekend is nothing. And sometimes my weekend is all school. Any given point, prioritizing the time that I do have. That whole philosophy of you know, wherever you are, be there. It helps. It helps. And a very good um, organized calendar. That also helps. So. Oh, for sure. Yes. And how long were you thinking about setting your own company before you took the leap? And what did that lead up look like? So the idea of starting my own company didn't come along until I met really the right group of individuals. Really, it was the content. So I have people come up to me all the time that just, you know, they're in school or they're making, they're thinking about making a career change. And they ask me, I want to be in data and analytics, or I want to be in data science. You know, what's your advice? And the first thing I tell them is find the content that you want to work on. I really don't agree with the line that data is data. I believe that how data are generated and how they're used and what value they bring back, right? All those things matter. And if you don't like the content and the industry of the data that you're going to be working with, it's just not going to be as fruitful, right? And so when I started working with social determinant of health data and seeing really just the impact it could have on healthcare, that's when I started to say, I want to do more of this. I have found my niche. I have found something that is beyond just the the work. It's very mission driven. It has a great story intertwined in it and all the impact it can have. And so that's really what drove me to make that leap into the startup space. Not necessarily that I just wanted to have my own company, but rather I wanted this company to really showcase the value of what I believe in and the type of work that I want to continue doing around social determinants of health. That's amazing. And out of all the different hats that a CEO has to wear, as you were saying, or sometimes all in in the one day, which ones have you found the most challenging so far? 
this is going to sound so strange. And because I am certainly a numbers person, but the difference between data science and accounting is just those things are worlds apart. Um, yes. And so I have bought three or four books and I have just been cramming on just accounting and the financial oh. aspects of startups yeah. because it's just not, it's so very far removed from data science. It is certainly intriguing and I'm enjoying learning about that. And so that's been great. On the flip side, the part that I love is really the marketing side. So I love being able to tell the story of the company and how does that then influence outcomes and, you know, bring value and getting really visual with how do we describe the company and building the website. And it's been super outside of my world, but it's been a great experience. And it's something that I admittedly didn't think I would like, but I have grown to love. That is fantastic. Oh, no, extremely, extremely well. And what parts of your career do you think have most helped you get set up for the current challenges that you're facing or tackling right now? I like to think that really the wide array of experience I got in my Mm. decade at a payer was really beneficial, right? So on any given day, while I was still certainly in the technical world, I was at different points in any project. And that forced me to multitask, right? So if I had 30 projects going at one time, which some were small and maybe some were very large, I had to balance that and make sure each of them got their due attention on a daily or weekly basis. That mentality is directly applicable to the startup world. So things are moving fast in the startup world. And while they're not all data science projects, I have to make sure that I've emailed the people that I need to email in due time, that I've gotten payments to people that need payment, that I've gotten the reports out that my board members need to review and those types of things. So being able to multitask, I firmly believe that all the work that I did for a decade leading up to leaving and joining the startup world forced me to multitask. And I've actually grown now to thrive in that type of environment. So making those to-do lists and marking things off, that's how I almost measure success in a day at this point. Wow, that's fantastic. And what is your time split in a day between getting to work on your to-dos and being in meetings, being internal meetings or external? What does the time split look like? On average, I'd say a quarter of my day is spent in meetings and then three quarters are doing the to-do list. And there's certainly a portion in there where I am educating the individual's especially on development, they don't need me at these meetings. They can give them the confidence to then take that piece and own it so that I can free my time to do other things. That was certainly one of the biggest jumps when moving from individual contributor to a leader was delegating, right? And how mm. letting go of that. And that's something that um, I feel like we all still struggle with if you're um, a leader in any space. But how do I really increase my capacity and give individuals the confidence to do things that they need to do? And and then we're all really benefiting from that. And so I continuously strive to make sure that the meetings on my calendar are where I need to be and things that um, I absolutely need. And if not, how do I get them to the right people in order to tackle those? Fantastic. I am so impressed with everything you're doing and everything you've done. Blown, like mind blown, actually. Extremely, extremely well done. And just before we go, I wanted to ask you, what would be a piece of advice that you would like to give to the listener, something that can help them in their career that they could use as a North Star or something, a piece of advice that has helped you during your journey so far? 
I really like the idea, and I believe I mentioned it earlier, of don't stay in your lane. In data science, you often see individuals that get really, really attached to a particular method, or they've created this step-by-step guide to data science. And what that leads to is always not necessarily mediocre results, but something that you could apply differently and get and, and really start to express your creativity. And the same is true in your career, right? If you always say that something is outside your lane, or I don't want to go and storytell because that's outside my lane, or I don't want to learn how to build financial reports because that's outside my lane, then you're always going to restrict yourself and you're never really going to experience what may be something intriguing that you want to continue to explore and grow. You know, I always like to say that it never hurts if you go and you learn something new and it's not for you that's fine. You don't have to continue on that path, but I guarantee you, you're going to learn something that's applicable down the road. And I really feel that in the technical space, there's just so much exploring you can do both with tools, right? I've heard all these individuals, hey, I only code in this. So they're never willing to explore. And, huh. and you're, really your career and your path is dictated by how far you're willing to swim outside that lane and making those jumps and those leaps throughout your career can be can sometimes be intimidating, but are all usually worth it, in my opinion. Great, great advice. Lee, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your fantastic journey, your perspectives and philosophies. And thank you so much for all the great work that you're doing. I wish you all the best. I think this startup is going to do really great. Great. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed talking. Thank you. I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommend it for people wanting to get ahead. With the program, you can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu. I wanted to tell you about We Are Rubik's, one of Australia's leading pure data consulting companies delivering project outcomes for some of the world's leading brands. Growing rapidly and with offices in Melbourne, Sydney and the US, Rubik's are as serious about analytics as they are about their pinball. True story, they have like 10 pinball machines in their Melbourne head office. If you're interested in joining a passionate and vibrant team who make work fun, Head to wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That's wearerubix, all one word, wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.